Welcome to Well Made, where we dive deep into all things wellness, self-improvement, and self-love. I'm your host, Kat Kamalani, a mother of two beautiful kids. Together, we'll explore raw and candid moments that touch on every aspect of life, from parenting to relationships, career, and personal growth. Our conversations will be filled with insight, experiences, and tips to help you live your best life. So sit back, relax, and join us on this journey towards a happier, healthier, and more fulfilling life. Welcome back to another episode of Well Made. Today, we have an amazing special guest on with us. It is Michelle, and she is the owner of Peace and Parenting. And so I want to welcome Michelle onto this beautiful episode we're going to talk about parenting. And the reason why I wanted to bring Michelle on today is because we all have those traumas and triggers and the way we grew up that has shaped us into adults as we are now. And a lot of my followers are parents and we are just trying to do our best. But what I think you do really well, Michelle, is educate parents on how to connect with your children on a deeper level. So I want you to kind of tell our followers what exactly is connecting parenting for those who don't know. Yeah. Hi, thank you for having (laughs) me. I so appreciate it. (laughs) Thank you so much. It's so nice to be here. Parenting by Connection is really this idea that we prioritize the relationship that we share with our kids and that that becomes the most important piece in parenting. And it's more tantamount than, you know, maybe behaviors are or discipline is or all of the other things that kind of get stuck into parenting. We really say like, we want to prioritize the relationship because in the end, that's all you really have. Yes. And you know, it's interesting you're saying that with connecting parenting is because I feel that a lot of times people forget to connect with their child and forget that their child is a human. That a lot of time we look at children as not human and have emotions and have feelings that we almost expect them to be adults and to behave like an adult when us as adults have a hard time regulating our emotions and our feelings. And so I want to ask you, where does that stem from? Is it, do you find that where we were at children, we were, you know, disciplined in a different way and we grow up thinking being a child being respectful, it means they're obedient, which I believe those are two different things, being respectful and obedient. I don't know. What is your opinion on that? I mean, I think a lot goes into it. I think there's this idea first that, you know, that if you have good children, then you're a good parent. And that that somehow we've, that's been really steeped in our society. And so then we really work really hard to have quote unquote, good kids who quote unquote, behave because we don't want the shame of being thought of as a bad parent and that our parents probably operated in that same way, right? They wanted us to behave so that they were thought of as good people and good parents. And that I really believe, now this is taking it really deep, but I believe it's part of the patriarchy and part of colonialism where everybody wanted to control. So, you know, part of colonialism is controlling the masses, controlling the parent or controlling the women, controlling the children. And so that if we are thought of as in control, like we have control of our kids, then we are thought well of. And that that is something that has been very 
important in society. It's almost where you're out in public and you see the child having big emotions. I don't even like the word meltdown because we all have big emotions and they're having big emotions and you see the parent being really frantic and looking around almost like who's looking. And I know this may be controversial, but when I'm out in public and if my child is having big emotions, I honestly don't care what people think about me. Like my good for you. (laughs) Thank you. My main concern is helping my child navigate and connecting with them of, okay, what's going on? What are you experiencing? What is the feeling behind this big emotion? And you can correct me on ways that I can do this better, but I almost, I take them out of the environment and talk to them as a human. And so if your child is having those big moments at a store or around family or an event, how do you approach that or help parents approach that? Yeah. First of all, yay. I'm so glad you have the attitude that you have. It's so lovely. And you know, all of us have that, but I believe that you're right on that. We have to, you know, meet them where they're at and where they're at in that moment is an emotional upset. And those are totally normal. Like you said, they're, they're human beings. They're not just these little tiny, you know, I don't even know what people think of them. They're just these, that there are something to be, you know, just brought around as little trophies or something. But I I think you're right. I try to take my kid maybe out of the situation so that they don't feel judged because I don't want my child to feel judged. I don't want anybody saying anything to my kid. And so I take them out of the situation and I don't say a word. I only just say, I'm right here. I know this is hard. And I just be with them in their feelings because often they don't know what they're feeling, where it came from, what's the bigger picture. They don't have that, you know, brain function yet. And so to just, it depends on their age, obviously, but for the most part, many of us too, even adults, sometimes I'll get upset and I don't even know where it's coming from. And I have a hard time connecting to it. So I just let them be in the upset and I don't try to figure out the why. And I just stay there until they're done. Oh, that is an amazing piece of advice. You're putting into words how I've spoken with my husband, Kiloni, about parenting our kids because I kept telling him that if we don't start now with not getting upset when they're upset, uh, modeling behavior that we want them to do and mm-hmm. being calm and talking through and t- showing them like how we take deep breaths when we're feeling overwhelmed and labeling our emotions like mommy's just having big emotions right now. I'm feeling really sad or I'm feeling frustrated inside. It's And it's not your responsibility. These are mommy's feelings that if we can model that and show that, that when they're young, they'll come to us when they have these big emotions. And then when they're adults, they'll come to us when they have these big emotions and that they know we can handle it. Totally. That's exactly right. You're so smart. Yes. We're telling them we're safe. I'm not going to have a meltdown when you're having a meltdown. I'm going to allow you to have your feelings. I'm going to be here with you and I am going to stand by your side and I'm not scared of your feelings. They don't take me down. They don't bother me. And that will inform them later when something big, you know, if you let them really have their feelings around not getting the lollipop or, you know, their friend said something mean to them. If you can show them, you'll be there in those smaller moments. Then when they're older, and I can tell you this from experience, I have a 17 and a half year old, they'll come to you with the big moments, like the the breakup, the, you know, 
the party and the drugs, the things that are really hard because now you're safe and you've cemented this idea that you won't get upset no matter what. I want to talk about parents that are human and they do get upset because it's a whole entire life of reprogramming, at least for me anyways, too, where our parents parent us different. And I believe they parent us the best of their ability. I'm not shaming any other generation and even generation right now, people are trying with the best of their knowledge and the tools they had. But I hate even saying this out loud, Michelle, because it's really embarrassing for me. But I grew up where it was either you experience a big emotion and it was sent to your room to kind of deal with it on your own. And I find myself doing that, or it's the opposite where it's it's even kill. And then all of a sudden it's like an explosive like yeah. anger. And I find myself, even though I don't yell at my kids, I don't send them to their rooms. I don't hit my kids that even though when they do something and I feel this flood of anger come over me, why yeah. is it still like in the back of my head, that trigger of, I want to scream at them or I want to hit them, which I would never hit them. I just want to make that shirt clear. Why does that happen? Because I feel so guilty that even thought pops in my head for just a split second. And I'm yeah. thinking, what? whoa, 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 where did that come from? Like, why are you thinking that? Yeah. So two things. First of all, I just want to full disclosure. I started parenting as a yelling control freak perfectionist for the first five years. That's all I did because I was so triggered, like you say, and I couldn't maintain my self-regulation at all. And so I would get way too far and I would yell and I would have a really hard time with my kids. And that's, I made this transformation when my oldest was five to really try to like do things differently. And that's when I really started to dive into my triggers. And so what I can say for myself and what I see with my clients is that that's all from our childhood. You know, big emotions were not accepted in our families. And so if we went in our nuclear families, when big emotions did happen, they were likely either shut down or they were met with more big emotion. And so it put us into an, our, an alert state. It put us into fight, flight, or freeze. And so that's the only child-parent relationship that we know. So then when we get in our child-parent relationship as the parent, that triggers us right back to that old place. So you see those big feelings and emotions and you're like, no, it has to stop. I just have to get it to stop because that's what was happening in your nuclear family. And that's deep. That's a deep wound. Mm. Yeah, I I feel it. And it's it's hard not having that guilt. And especially when you experience those big emotions. And when I do do that, I want to know your thoughts and opinions. When I'm feeling those triggers and I'm feeling, okay, I'm upset and I'm angry. I say to my kids, mom's experiencing frustration or anger or whatever. This is not your responsibility. You're not, you're not responsible for my feelings but I'm going to take myself out of the room until I can calm my body, take deep breaths, and then we can talk about it. Because I I don't know other way to handle it because I don't ever want to shove them in the room and be like, I don't want to deal with you. No, that's good. You're doing great. First of all, you're doing (laughs) great. You're doing great. It's hard. It's not easy. I deal with this every day with people. It's so challenging to have a kid fully go to, you know, a full, you know, negative expression, hitting, kicking, biting, whatever it is. It's really challenging. I think 
one little tiny thing that is helpful for me is if I get to that place where I want to say or do something that I, that I will regret, I, instead of explicitly telling them, I say, you know what? Mommy has to go use the bathroom. I'm going to be right back. And I just use a stupid excuse and I walk away and I go take care of myself and I come back, but I don't try to explain to them too much just because I don't know. I feel like we can shelter them just one more step of shelter from, from our feelings. Mm, I love that so much. I, this reminds me of the other day, my oldest Luna, she's five years old. And I was talking on the phone with my husband and I don't even know the conversation we had. And I was feeling upset with what someone else in my family did. And I was venting to my husband and I got off the phone and she came and put her hand on me. And that's the sign of when I'm talking, she has something important to say to me. She puts her hand on me. And then when I'm done, I, I know she has something to say to me. And I turned to her, I'm like, what's up? And she says to me, mommy, I can tell you're having big emotions. You need to take a deep breath. And do you need to go for a walk or do you want to read a book or are you hungry? And I, my jaw was on the ground because I thought, oh my gosh, a five-year-old is being able to notice when someone's Mm -hmm. feeling upset, try to label the feelings and then figure out what to do from it. That's so sweet. Girl. It was the sweetest thing you, ever. You taught her that. Oh, well, oh. I can't take all of it. My husband's a great and well, I have you to guys give, together taught her that. Thank you. And and it's hard to break those cycles and to break the habits because my husband is Hawaiian and he comes from the Polynesian culture where the elders and respecting your elders is a huge thing. Yeah. And to even it's not talk back, but to even talk about your feelings or to say anything, it's just what the elder says goes. And it's yeah. a huge thing to break yeah. that cycle. Yeah. But, and I think many of us, you know, in all cultures have deal with that. Like you just, you don't, it's disrespectful. That's it. They said it, it's done. Which it's not. I. That's the hard yeah. thing is breaking that. And what comes from it, I have seen is with my husband is a lot, a lot of trauma that he's had to work through. And I want to talk to you about trauma. Where do you see as an adult where these kids have been either put in their room when they're upset or hit physically or hurt emotionally, talked down to? When they grow up as an adult, you hear that number one thing that, well, I was spanked and I was fine, or I was yelled at and I was fine. But in actuality, they're not fine. And no. as an adult, how does that show up when you're treated like that as a child? It shows up in our triggers, right? We just, we just, you know, it's the it's the circular nature of it all. It's like, you know, the trigger is caused by the trauma, and then you just keep going in that circle, and you can't get out unless you unravel that trigger. So I think, like, for me, I'll just speak for myself. Like, I was, I never felt heard or seen or understood as a kid. So I was constantly trying to feel seen and heard, and I wanted to get bigger and stronger and listen to my opinion and really come on strong because I never felt seen and heard and understood. I was also yelled at. So then I ended up being a yeller. I think it just shows up in almost every single way that you were treated as a kid is going to come out in your parenting unless you, you know, consciously really work on it. And even then, like you said, it's in your head, it's all in your ethos and you have to fight really hard against it. But if you 
unravel it. Like if you do like coaching is an incredible place to do it, you know, really diving into the the tools of connection. Like if you really work on it systemically, you can get rid of it. Yeah. It's almost that every person you meet, the person who has explosive anger or the overachiever or the overthinker or the person like you were saying that needs to be, yes, the people pleaser, which I always say is a form of manipulation because you just are trying to manipulate everyone else to be happy or those, those are all stem from childhood, which is insane. And like to try to unravel as an adult. No. And then when you become a parent, then they just get exacerbated because now they're be, become now they're in the perfect setting right they're in this child parent setting and so they just be, they go they are they catch on fire i want to pivot the conversation to a spot where i am with my children and yeah. i have been and this is probably going to be really controversial but i have been teaching my daughter and my son that it's okay to say no to us in a respectful way where I don't ever want my children to be put in a position when they're adults as in a work environment or a relationship or even, God forbid, like in a, a sexual relationship where they have the muscle that is so weak that they can't say no. And I have been, I taught my kids where you can say no to me and you can say no to adults and you can say no to your friends in a respectful way. But what I find, Michelle, is that they're now turning it on me where I say something as like, hey, go to the bathroom and put your shoes on. We're leaving now. And they'll say, no, thanks, mom. And and okay. And I try to work through like, all right, how do I handle this? I'm teaching them that knows a full sentence. They can say no, but then there's stuff that we still need to get done. Yeah, that's a complicated one, but we're going to dive in. Okay. So with cooperation, so every no is going to be different, right? When they say, no, I don't want any more or whatever, or no, I don't want to play with this kid or no, like preference no's, those are okay. But when they say no to the things, the tasks that you want them to do, that's a cooperation issue. So what we find is that cooperation and connection go hand in hand. So when connection is high, cooperation is high. When connection is low, cooperation is low. So it probably isn't so much that they just want to say no. It's that they're in a disconnected place in that moment. And that disconnected place can be anything. It could be a fight they had with their sibling. It could be a hard day they had at school. It could be, you know, they didn't get picked for the team or they didn't get the extra cookie or whatever it is. They're in a disconnected place where their need isn't really feeling met. And so can you abandon that, you know, idea of, cooperation and can you lean into some sort of connection and then return to your your ask your request because if you can do that whole secular thing then you can get more cooperation because i don't think they're saying no just because you're teaching them no i think they are in a state where they don't really want to say yes makes complete sense and also for my viewers I've, I've talked to a lot of friends about parenting and I've had some of my friend moms say, oh my gosh, my kids never, ever listen to me ever. And the second my husband comes in the room, it's like all of a sudden they flip a switch and they yeah. listen to my husband. And I don't know why they listen to my husband, but they don't listen to me. What I see, which is, I think probably pretty free, pretty normal, but 
we, everyone can chime in and say, and they say and say I'm wrong. But what I see mostly is that when a kid fears a parent, they will do as they say because they don't want to get in trouble. And so that's what I really advocate for is no punishments, no consequences, no threats, no bribes. I have a book out called Unpunished. So I really dove deep like this idea of of not punishing. But when you have a parent who punishes or threatens or gets loud or gets stern or is angry, or the child is worried that they will damage the relationship with that parent, they're going to do what they say. That doesn't mean that they like that parent more or that they respect them more. It means they're probably scared of them more. It's almost throwing out that saying where I'm not my child's friend. I'm their parent, which I don't like. I just posted, I'm my child's friend. And people lost their minds. I saw that post. It resonated with me. And I love that because you. you can still guide and help your children and be their friend. And you don't have to be this fear-based, authoritative figure in their life because the parents then wonder when you're an adult and they're an adult and you don't have a relationship with your child. Like, why don't they want a relationship with me? It's like, well, you've, I feared you your whole life. We've never had a connection. You've never wanted to get to know me. It was always what you said goes and you've never cared to understand my feelings. That's exactly right. And so then what are you left with? And that's why connective parenting is so good is because we prioritize the relationship. So you have something left when they're 18. So that's why connective parenting also is not about modifying behavior. We're not about getting kids to do things for us or to get them to behave or to get them to comply or be obedient or all the things that, you know, conventional parenting says. It really is like, how do you cultivate the relationship? Because there, that's all that we have in the end. Yeah. I want to talk about, we spoke about children who grow up to be adults and kind of the things that happen when they're adults, when they go through these trauma-based or trigger-based parenting styles. What is it you see in adults when they go through this connecting parenting? What are wh- How are they as an adult when they grow up? So I'll tell you from my experience, my daughter will be 18 in January. So I think we can say she's almost an adult, right? And that what I see with her is that she is confident and she, I am not scared to put her out into the world because she has deep resilience. So like, I don't fix things for my kids. I don't save them from, from bad things happening unless it's safety. You know, I really try to let life teach lessons, but I don't punish. And so she's had some difficult moments, but I've always been there with her in the difficult moments saying, I'm right here. I understand. Just like I talked about with, if a kid who's having big feelings you do that all throughout their life, every time they have a hard time, then that builds resilience. So they realize this thing can take me down, but I can recover because I have a really good listener and a support system. And I know now I'm building this new neural pathway of falling down and getting up and falling down and getting up. So now I know if she goes out in the real world and she falls down, she can get herself up because she's had so much practice. And she's also connected to me. So when we're connected, the prefrontal cortex, the reasoning center of the brain stays online more. And the reasoning center of the brain is your decision-making center. It's also your impulse control. And so she lives in a connected world. So her brain is working better. So she makes better decisions. 
So she's not living in fight, fight, or freeze like you or I did because we had parents that were, you know, not parenting this way. We lived in a more fight, fight, or free space where we're not able to use our whole brain. So she can really use her whole brain to think and make good decisions. And so I think those two things in particular really set me at ease that I can send her off into the world. She can be okay. Like she wants to go to the University of Oregon and she can go out there and, you know, I'm not worried about her. Oh, it it speaks volumes to your parenting. And I, I have to commend you for changing your parenting because that's really hard. And being 33 years old and as an adult now, I, my mom's my best friend and I tell her absolutely everything. And some of the things I, I feel like I had the best childhood ever and being an adult now and the way I'm parenting, I've had to explain to my parents, well, we don't force our kids to hug or kiss anybody. We don't, we allow them to say no. It's just different things for them. That's kind of that shock factor. And thankfully I have parents who respectfully respect me and either the differences we have. So they do that with my kids too. But for the viewers and the listeners right now who don't have those parents in their life that respect the way they parent, how do you go about navigating that really tricky relationship with people in your life? Yeah, it's not easy. (laughs) It's really not easy. I have a lot of people who ask me the same question. And I think I, I, what I like to do is just, you know, I say little things like, oh, well, in our house, we, we listen to feelings. Oh yeah. Well, in our house, we don't, we don't kiss and hug if we don't want to. I just keep saying it in front of the kids. So the kids know I have their back and I'm going to say it kindly and nicely, but I am not going to allow any of the, any of the things that I don't think are good for my kids. And I just say it loud and proud and kindly in front of everyone. And I don't, I set that boundary. No, we don't, we, oh, we don't do that. Oh no, we get dessert no matter what. Oh yeah. We, yeah, it's okay. She can, she can have dessert before dinner. We, we do this in our house. I just keep saying it, keep setting the boundary, keep making sure everyone realizes that, no, this is the way we do it in our house. Mm. I, I love where you said my child knows I have their back. It's feeling, making the child feel secure in the relationship. Yeah, that's it. And and they it isn't so much for the other people. Like, I don't really care what they think, but your kid is watching you, mm-hmm. right? They're just watching you navigate it. We have this thing with our kids at nighttime. We um, talk to them and I told, I tell my kids, no matter what, if you tell me the truth about anything, you will never, ever get in trouble. But if you lie to me, then naturally there's going to be ways where we have to talk it through. There may be, okay, well, how can we handle it better next time? So they're not having this fear of like, I'm going to get in trouble. But with that of saying, you'll never get in trouble if you tell me the truth, I say, and no matter what you tell me, I will always believe you. And I say that to my kids because I want them to know if they come to me in a situation that happened at school or at their friend's house or with somebody, I'm going to believe them no matter what. And I'm going to have their back. And if they aren't telling me the truth, then we can deal with that later and talk through And I know that, again, that's a controversial thing of like, you're always going to believe your child. You're not going to question them. And it's such a tricky thing to explain to people. Yeah. Yeah. You know what the beautiful thing is, is what I see. Most kids lie because they don't want to get in trouble. That's 90% of why kids don't lie. Some kids lie because they want to like 
be the big kahuna, right? Because they're like, oh, you know, somebody else got the the bike. I Oh, I got a bike too, right? They just want to be seen and heard and, and understood. Sometimes that we've got the white lies going on, but 90% of white kids lie is because they don't want to get in trouble. So if you take getting in trouble off the board completely, off the table completely, if you get rid of punishments and consequences and being angry and being upset and being disappointed and having any sort of big reaction to anything that happens ever, your kid won't lie to you. Mm. I I love that you said, do not have a big reaction to anything whatsoever. Because when we started having kids, I, I told my husband, I will never, ever show any reaction to like milk spilling or yeah. something falling on the ground because it was an accident. And so now I, I swear it's almost every single time we eat lunch or anything, there's always some type of food or an accident. And they always say, not a big deal, just an accident. And <laughs> it's my favorite thing. So I want to pick your brain a little bit. And we didn't discuss this off camera. So Fine. I'm going to put Let's you on the it. spot. Great. I'm ready. But there is different ways of parenting with different children in different stages and different ages. I want to pick your brain of what are some key pieces of advice or ways that a parent can change their parenting right now with their children of in the stage of young children, toddlers, and then elementary, and then going into the teenager stage. And then as they get older into the high school, adult, college stage, what is, what is some key components you can give our viewers and listeners of this is how you can stop right now what you're doing and start connecting with your children? Okay. So a few things. Oh, this is a big one. Okay. A big one. It's so, okay. Uh, we'll take a lot of time for well, this. I know yeah, it's well, a big one. This is good. So I think one of the tools that I like to use, so let me just say, I believe that everything that I teach, 90% of what I teach, you can use forever. It's stuff you could use in your spousal relationship. It's stuff that people tell me when after our sessions, people will say, oh my gosh, I use that tool at work with my employees. It's relationship stuff. So you can use all of this stuff whenever, but I'm going to give you some things that I think are good. And then I'll tell you which ages you can use them at. So there's a tool called special time and it's just 20 minutes of one-on-one -on -one time with your child where they get to choose what to do. They are completely in charge and you have to time it for 20 minutes and you are excited and you are into it. And it's the best thing that ever happened. And you are doing this in these young ages so that you can form a deep bonded relationship for when they're older and you've created this one-on-one -on -one space where they feel safe to be themselves with you and they get to be in control and they, you've created this spot. So I started doing this 13 years ago and now my kids seek me out for special time because it becomes this long process of forming and bonding a relationship. So start it as soon as you possibly can. We started at infancy and I do it and through whatever, but I also tell my couples I work with, do special time with your wife. She gets 20 minutes, you get 20 minutes. You're in charge, she's in charge. You can do it with everybody. Every day. Every day, 20 minutes with every kid. Love that. And every parent. Oh, what a great way to connect. So that one's really good. I think for the the middle-aged kids, like, you know, probably like five to 12, it's this whole idea of not giving them advice. They don't need your advice because your advice is 33-year-old advice. And 33-year-old advice is not applicable for the eight-year-old. 
go to school and tell him that you really don't want to play like that with him anymore. And he's not kind and he's not nice. And you tell him no way. But that kid might not be able to apply that advice. He might not be ready to say that. And maybe he doesn't want to say that because he likes that friend. They just had a bad moment. And do we know enough about whatever's going on in our kids' world to be giving them advice? Or can we be the coach? Well, what happened? Well, what else did he say? Well, what can you do? Well, that's interesting. If you did that, what would happen? Well, what else would would happen? Oh, well, what's a different alternative? Can you guide them as opposed to tell them what to do? Again, you can use this for every age too, right? Probably not the really tiny ones, but you can start using it as soon as you can have a good conversation with your kids and you can use it with your spouse. You can use it with your teenagers. You can use it with everybody. Nobody really wants advice. They just want to be heard and they want you know you to be a good sounding board. Well, that's a great tip for relationships too. My husband does that. <laughs> do you want me to fix or do you want me to listen? Oh, I'm I like, love that. I just, I just need someone to listen to me right now. Yeah. And I think that brings me to the last one for those teenagers and for, you know, kids going into college and stuff too. Like really be the good listener. We don't have to, again, we don't have to fix things. We don't have to reframe things. We can just listen and say, wow, I'm right here. This is hard. I understand. I'm not going to leave you when you're upset. I'm going to be right here. Cry as much as you want. Complain as much as you want. Teenagers love to complain about everything. Esme came home last night and we had a whole dialogue about how Mrs. So-and-so doesn't let them pee except for once a semester. And how is she supposed to, you know, drink in her water bottle and oh my gosh, and this and that. And I wanted to be like, I'll call the school. I'll tear down everybody's house over there if they don't let you go pee. Like I wanted to tell her exactly what to do. And I said, I'm here if you need my help. She just wanted to be heard. That's all she wanted. She wanted to be heard. She wanted to complain. She wanted to get it off her chest and she didn't need me to fix it. So letting your, your teenagers complain is bonding. It creates connection because they know that you're seeing them and hearing them and understanding them. That can also go for your adult children, right? Where I felt when I first got married as any couple, you go through those rough patches and you're learning each other, different cultures, things of that. And from the very beginning, when I got married, my mom told me, I'm here to always listen to you vent or or have an angry day or listen to your feelings. But when it revolves around your husband, I'm not here because you need to go to a therapist. That's not my business. And ever since then, I feel like I can always go to my mom about anything. But when it relates to my husband, I go to a therapist or I talk to him directly. <laughs> yeah, it's good. And, and, like it, and it makes me feel open to her because she just listens and she's there. Yeah. For our viewers listening right now, where can they, they're listening and they're like, okay, this is great stuff, but I don't feel like this is enough. Like yeah. where can they get more information, learn more about this connecting parenting and how you can help them? Yeah. There's so many places. So my, my biggest home is on, on Instagram, peace and parenting. I'm, I love that place. It's like my little home there. I also have a Facebook with a lot of people there too. I have a podcast called peace and parenting. We have like 250 episodes, I think. So there's a lot of good information. I've got probably 15 free guides that are in the link in my bio and Instagram that you can download. And then if you really want to dive deeper and you want to form this like beautiful community, I have a 
online community. It's called the Connected Parent Mastermind. And we, it's partially asynchronous and partially you meet with my coaches once a week and you dive deeper into this material and we teach you how to be a connected parent. And it really is a beautiful program. I do one-on-one coaching and I have coaches that do one-on-one coaching and then my book, Unpunished. Oh, so many great resources to come to and learn from. And I can't believe how much free information and good information you put out on your Instagram and podcast. It is just a bunch of gold mines and you are really a beautiful soul and you're changing the next generation. And I really appreciate that because for parents like me who are just searching to try to have a better connection with our kids, you really are changing the world and the next generation out there. Oh, you're so sweet. Thank you. That I mean, warms my heart. Thank you, Kat. I love that. I will link everything that Michelle talked about and her social handles and her website in the show notes and the description so you can easily access her. We appreciate you guys tuning in and listening today. And if today's episode resonated with you, please tag us so we can personally thank you. And we hope you guys have a great day. Thank you. Thank you. If you were inspired by today's episode, I encourage you to tag me on social media at Kat Kamalani so I can personally thank you myself. I would love to hear your thoughts on my podcast. So go ahead and leave a review. So high five for finishing the episode and trying to better yourself. I hope you found it informative, inspiring, and thought-provoking. I will see you again soon for another episode. Take care.